and welcome to Building High Performance Cultures, a weekly series where we talk with executives from top organizations about how they built high performance cultures and how they're leveraging their cultures as competitive advantage. I'm Marty Parker, the president and CEO of Waterstone Human Capital, and I'm delighted today to introduce my guest, who's the president and CEO of SE Health, Shirley Sharkey. Shirley, welcome to Building High Performance Cultures. Great. Pleased to be here. Delighted to have you. Now, Shirley is one of Canada's preeminent healthcare leaders. And so you know why, if you don't, under Shirley's leadership, SE Health has enjoyed exponential growth and expansion and facilitated transformative solutions in areas and diverse areas such as Indigenous health, end-of-life care, and caregiver wellness and support. And today, the organization delivers 20,000 care exchanges, probably more since we wrote this, uh, through its team of 9,000 leaders and professionals. Her commitment uh, is equally impressive to community advancement, and it's evident with her leadership and involvement on many boards, ranging from health to education. She's the Chair of Excellence Canada and a member of the Canadian Centre for Aging and Brain Health Innovation Committee of the Baycrest Board. She is the past chair of George Brown College in Toronto and the former president of the Canadian Home Care Association, just to name a few of her roles. And academically, Shirley is cross-appointed to the University of Toronto's Lawrence S. Bloomberg Faculty of Nursing in the Institute of Health Policy Management and Evaluation as an adjunct professor. She's appeared on a number of media panels and widely published on home and community-based healthcare, health transformations, social innovation, and breakthrough leadership. And interestingly, her insights and belief in unleashing people's potential and creativity have generated achievements and accolades from across Canada and beyond, including the prestigious Diamond Jubilee Medal of Queen Elizabeth II and the Order of Excellence from Excellence Canada in organizational innovation, quality, and wellness. And of course, last but certainly not least, SE Health was named as 2018 Canada's Most Admired Corporate Culture winner in recognition of their outstanding corporate culture and its impact on performance. Now, Shirley, as I take a breath. Um, I'm exhausted too. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we could have said more, but for those who aren't familiar with SE Health, why don't you tell us a bit about the organization and the culture that you've got there? Uh, well, you know, SE Health, it's, it's been hard to describe, but I mean, in simple terms, we define ourselves as a, a nonprofit social enterprise. And by that, it really is about helping Canadians live and uh, be well uh, in their home environment. Um, it uh, started many years ago, 1908, with four incredible women, trailblazers, innovators, uh, who recognized the need for people to receive health care in their home. And today, as, as you described us, uh, Marty, we're sort of, you know, Canada-wide with a huge and amazing workforce of uh, uh, talented health professionals. And, you know, every day we are interacting with them and with their life care, which is a little bit different than how we typically look at health care. You know, from a culture point of view, I look at it real simplistically that what we're trying to create with people is the feeling of home. You know, I remember once I was interviewing a, a, a client and she'd been hospitalized and was able to go home earlier because we were providing some physiotherapy and some other follow-up. And I said to her, you know, what, what was it like when you were able to get back home? 
and and her expression and delight and it was just like it was wonderful and that's the culture we're trying to create you know certainly not only with our clients and families but with all of our staff with all of the people that have a connection with us and probably a secondary sort of theme and in healthcare it's really important is to be authentic to to really be real with it why in healthcare well we're dealing with some pretty serious things life and death and i think that people generally in healthcare can get through what i call the bs real quickly and say like what are you talking about and i do think we try to really be authentic with what we're trying to do and and how in fact that plays out for people Shirley, tell us about your role as the president and ceo uh, in terms of how what role you play in the in the building and sustaining of the culture mm -hmm. well i think the ceo in any organization it sets the tone and sets the vision and well, you better believe in what you're doing or you'll be found out really quickly. I've been many, many years at SE Health. So I, I keep saying if, if it wasn't truly how I'm sort of defined, uh, I would have been caught sort of really where there is some misalignment over the years. But I do think, you know, above and beyond setting the tone and the vision, uh, what I have found over time, the CEO plays in a very important role to scout out and to seek out the talent that are really aligned with the values and the direction of the organization. And, and that is so critically important that, you know, either I um, find out these people exist or they are attracted to the organization because of how we're living our culture. Because you've got to have the right people in healthcare. It's all about human services. It's all about people. So we can only accomplish what we do based on the amazing people we have in the organization, that we keep in the organization, and new people that we bring in. Well, and that's a big, that's a big role in itself. But, you know, SE Health has been a real high performance and innovative organization, but, but in a, as a social enterprise, as a not-for-profit social enterprise, how do you define high performance? Mm -hmm. Well, there are certainly the targets and the data and the statistics that I think any business needs to focus on. But I look at those as sort of table stakes. You, you have to perform to actually be well in any industry and be successful. <clears throat> what, we've, what we've looked at with performance is how do we actually raise the bar? And how do we um, actually solve what are some real social issues above and beyond the business of home care and health professionals, et cetera. But you know, some of the real difficult social problems that exist, what impact are we having, small or large, or even identifying that there are issues? Um, probably one of the key things I've been very proud of with SC Health is our end of life care. We provide a lot of palliative care in the communities with our, let's call it our business. But what we felt was critical is to invest and support so many other organizations and other services and rise up really the choice that people have to be at home by creating that capacity, not only within our organization, but within society at large. And um, over the last several years, we've provided about 5 million throughout the country in this area. Um, in particular, in Toronto, we uh, created our Journey Home Hospice, which is end-of-life care for the homeless population. And in, that's where 
certainly the financial targets and growth and productivity, those, those are interesting. But for me, what gets you over the finish line with performance are these kinds of social impact changes that we're trying to make. Yeah, it's true that small dent, but at least we're trying to make that small dent. Well, it's really interesting because the SE Health mission is to spread hope and happiness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But you're in, as you said, a, a, a very binary business, uh, if you will, or, or uh, organization. And, and talk about how you can do that and how that helps you drive outcomes in what can be a very serious business with a lot of things being, you know, pulling on you. Yes. Um, you know, it's not a very traditional healthcare mission. And actually, when, when I get up sometimes and say, SE Health, people, talent numbers, and what we do, we spread hope and happiness. Everybody sort of goes, does she realize where, she, where she's talking that this is a health conference? And I will go, yes, I do. And we do want to change the language because we want to move beyond describing what we do and who we are. And in healthcare, we typically move right into that. You know, we're health professionals. These are the services we provide, but much more to a whole level of of social purpose and what, you know, what we're trying to actually achieve for people. I mean, it's certainly quality, excellence, innovation, safety. Again, I, I look at those as um, the table stakes of what any organization needs to have. And I don't suggest that it's a simple process, but I think to really strive for something different and really reach a, a different level of performance as an organization. You know, this is where you have to, I think, come up with new language that explains what it's all about. Um, we had a virtual town hall meeting and uh, we interview some of our staff and, you know, ask them questions, uh, you know, how, they are, how they're living this hope and happiness. And actually for years, we actually gave people $25 and said, now spread hope and happiness in whatever way you think is relevant. But actually during COVID, I was talking to one of our um, healthcare aides in Alberta and she was saying, it was a very simple action that I took. Um, she had a, a client that was not able to get his hair cut and he was, you know, was bugging him. He was going crazy with it. And she said, you know, I just said, well, you know what? I'll cut your hair. And the happiness and joy that he got with that intervention, we can look at that as a small thing, but it has a huge impact on people's lives. And that's where it brings us full circle to the, yes, maybe the care that's being provided, but also the happiness that we wanna get through that experience with people. You know, that's what's compelling when we recruit people, that they go like, really? And we go, yeah, really, because this is what health is all about for people. So talk, talk a little bit more about that recruiting, because you truly understand that team members, you know, future employees today want to connect per the purpose of an organization and feel like they have a real impact or it's a shared purpose that they're aligned. So how, how have you been able to leverage that to kind of retain your, your top talent, but also find top talent? Yeah, and it's a great question, Mark, because as I said, I spend a lot of time scouting, um, mm -hmm. not so much just the competencies, but the right match with the organization. And I mean, our starting point, and, and I'm always very clear with people that we are an incredibly competitive, passionate, nonprofit social enterprise. And so people right away go, 
what the heck is that? But it, it actually is one heck of a strong anchor when you're truly saying to people, we have purpose and this is what we're trying to do. And we're not just saying it, we're living it and we're actually designed that way to position ourselves. So I really leverage who we are, why not? And, and I don't apologize for it. In fact, I'm very bold with it so that I'll say to people, you know, if you're looking for you know, something that is going to be more meaningful work, it doesn't get any better than here because we really are true with that and, and want to achieve that. And I also feel we use different words because I mean, typically, and I, I'm even uncomfortable sometimes when people say, what are you looking for? I go, I'm looking for people who actually love people. And that's an unusual word to use where, you know, we care about people, but I, go, I want somebody who really loves people and really leads from the heart and you know wants to be part of something bigger and there's so many people now that i talk to and i go well what are you looking for and i do think it's changed because i know 30 years ago when people asked me what i was looking for i was not saying something bigger i was probably saying more money was exactly where i was going but now so many people say to me i, I don't know what it is i don't care what the job is i don't care what the title is but I want to do something that I believe is making a difference. And, you know, those are the people that we're trying to attract, but then there's a real responsibility on our part to, to actually deliver on that. And it goes back to the authentic culture. Cause if you're just talking that talk and then they move into the role, then they're very dissatisfied. And that is as problematic as, you know, not having the right talent as much as bringing in the right talent and then they're, you, they're no longer inspired. So I really work at, at every level in the organization to say, we have a commitment now to make sure we're living this because we have really had people put a trust in us that they can achieve their goals in this organization. Well, and I know you put your money where your mouth is as it relates to this because you have a very robust onboarding program. Yeah. And a lot of emphasis on ongoing coaching and feedback, you know, with your teams and new team members. How did this all come about and why is it important to SEL? Well, I think the very nature of home care is an interesting phenomenon that we realized it's, it's not only um, a different setting that, that one needs to work in, and it is a different culture, a different environment where um, independence, autonomy, multitasking, um, dealing with traffic, dealing with dogs, dealing with all sorts of things um, creates the need for our talent to be quite independent and to um, know when they need help and reach out and know when they don't need help, how to execute and have things really take place. I think also because we have so much of mobile workers well before COVID and remote, we had to figure out a way to enable our staff to have all the tools and the resources. I think for years we've been working with this sort of coach concept and, and really living that. Um, and that's again different in healthcare where it's typically supervision, hierarchical, you know, a bit of a military background where our has been more just because of the environment, we have to coach them differently. And we've always had sort of the SE coach approach and knowing that the first 30 90 days when people are in our environment 
um, which is a bit of a culture shift and a practice shift, we have to invest and help them understand it's, it's a different work process that they'll be working through within that. I've also, um, many years ago, and I've never um, moved away from it, invested very heavily in a sort of 24-7 clinical support approach because I knew at the end of the day, our staff are alone in people's homes. They need to have access to an environment that gives them what they need either right at their fingertips or at the end of a telephone. So we, um, for many, many years, have continued to build and resource that sort of clinical infrastructure, which has been enormously helpful for us during COVID. And that we really have had the infection control, the IPAC, and the real focus on that quality of care over the years. So I'm very glad we didn't sort of shortchange that area over the years and in fact have continued to invest heavily there. Well, and what we're learning through Canada's Most Admired, never more than this year, but it's certainly been a developing theme is that organized, you know, team members today want organizations that are actually committed and working on their culture. They want a place that they feel safe, both physically and psychologically. Yeah. We want a place where they can develop their career and develop as people. And I think we've had that really figured out uh, for, for quite some time. I'm curious, Shirley, what, what, have, what are you learning? Because I don't know if we ever have the book on this, on the, on the next generation of leaders in terms of what they need, what their styles are, um, and, and you know, what, what, what you pay attention to as it relates to the changes that they're, they're bringing to the workplace. Right. We've learned a lot through our Leadership Edge program, which is where we, um, we have all levels of the organization um, put up their hand and let us know if they're interested in this. And what I found was, had to be very transparent with that. There's no, no secrecy. It's not, well, these are the, these are the people that are in, in that crowd and you're outside on that crowd. And we started to realize that certainly transparency, people uh, want and expect to have access to information while you're making the decisions you're making and um, you know a, a mechanism for feedback we've heard about this for years feedback communication etc but i think it's different now where i have to be vulnerable and actually share many things with our workforce that i think many years ago i would go well i can't possibly have them realize that I don't have all the information where now I am having them realize this is as good as it gets at this moment in time and we're all going to work together. And I've been thrilled with how people want to respond to that and want to be part of sort of the call to action. I think digital orientation is another one with certainly um, um, millennials where they're there for God's sakes, would you use the tech and the communication that exists and, you know, please get with it uh, so that we can get through what we need to get through faster and achieve what we want. And, and so they should be demanding that because I do think we, we kind of stifle some of that, you know, improvement that could take place just with better information communication exchange. I think too that um, it goes back to this authentic, like, are you real? Um, you know, do you have, you know, can we balance what our, and I, I, I stop with balancing work and life, but could we balance our lifestyle, which I think is work and life, so that we are continuing to be healthy and well and inspired with what we do. And I, I do think that um, 
the millennials have a different take on that in a very positive way to, to look at, again, certainly having uh, results, but also um, trying to live a happy life and trying to be fulfilled in what they're doing at the same time. Yeah, in reality, it's, it's more like work-life integration, isn't it, than balance? Because that's So many times over the years, people have asked, okay, how have you done it, Shirley? You know, a mother, a wife, a job, this, kids. And I go, I haven't. That it, you have to enjoy what you're doing in all aspects, and then you'll be okay with it. You, you can't balance these things. And, you know, there's sacrifices at certain times that the family takes, other times work takes, and working that all through. And that's why I always say to people, make sure wherever you're working, you actually really believe in it and love it, because then you won't be looking for this perfect balance. You'll, you'll make sense of it. And your family will help you work through that because they'll want to they'll see you happy. So you'll all work together to kind of make it work. And I think we've moved beyond this, how do you compartmentalize and, and balance it all to how do you live life? And part of living life is, is the work that we're part of. Yeah, 100%. Similar kind of subject matter, but what trends do you see for kind of foresee coming in terms of building high performance cultures? Well, I mean, certainly uh, with COVID, there have been game changers overnight. Um, for years, I was trying to get, if you can believe this, um, a fee code for virtual visits. You know, who, who would have thought? Like now people would sort of laugh at me and go like, are you kidding? Um, in 24 hours, we were able to get a fee code for virtual visits. For 10 years, I was blah, 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 and this is what we need, and this would be really important, and we never were able to push through. So like in a switch, things have happened. For us too, we had teams for years since I think 2018, but nobody was using them. Now, I do think this remote working at scale is, is going to be very interesting and in how to do this successfully. Um, you know, how, how we do this for, for leaders, you know, for, um, for our lives and for society. Because it, it, it is a different, and I, I pick it up from all of our, our staff where everything now is pretty much either remote or mobile. Um, and it just changes how you socialize, how you connect. And in some ways, we're much more productive. In other ways, there's this a bit of um, kind of grief that we're missing something. I mean, we put together um, what was called a global village exchange for home care leaders, where we met with um, people that I connect with from Australia, Canada, Denmark, um, the UK, and uh, the US. And typically in a year, I'd be traveling to these places and talking to everyone. But in a snap, you know, in two hours, we were able to get such great thought leaders all together, all talking, exchanging. And I thought, wow, the, the wisdom that came from this very productive two-hour thing versus, think about it, if I had to travel to Australia and Denmark and Spain and UK, all of the downtime in that whole piece. But I think what was different because I knew all of these people, we were able to jump into an exchange. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think it's very hard in a remote where you, you just introduce yourself and there's a different now socialization. You're not walking in, shaking their hand. It's, it's, and we have to get accustomed to that. 
That I think, even though we talk a lot about all these other areas of digitization and various things, I think figuring out how to put the human connection into this remote working and do it at scale is probably one of the most critical things. It'll have a lot of subcomponents to it, but it will be critical. And the other thing I did when COVID hit, we cocooned a small group that we're not worrying about the day-to-day -day COVID response. And I wanted them to just think about what the future would look like. And we called it sort of the, the Phoenix project, you know, post-COVID. And I gave them the space and the time to, to keep thinking about what are things we need to get ahead of. Because I knew we'd have our head down within the COVID piece. And that also has been very helpful because we've been trying to square this sort of further out thinking with the day-to-day -day and bring some of the planning together as we move in particular with wave two, um, we're, we're continuing to actually move on some of these new ideas with also what we've learned from the day-to-day -day COVID. So it is another piece of, I think you have to cocoon and, and position things well to allow for some of that thinking in the future versus assuming it'll just happen in some of the areas of the organization. It has to be intentional with how you put that in place. Well, and I've heard so many of those type, call them future focused skunk works, whatever you want to call them, that have been waylaid during COVID. And you're one of the first people I've talked to that you know, originated it, kept it separate cocooned and continues to move forward on that. You know, no wonder that you have uh, an order of excellence from Excellence Canada and Innovation and Quality, that, that that's, you know, uh, it, not surprising. So my, my last question, Shirley, is, is more of a kind of mentorship advice, wisdom type question. And that is, you know, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's starting out on their high performance leadership culture journey, um, either in their own organization, it could be in healthcare, it could be as a professional manager. What would you, what would you share with them? Well, I have a couple of thoughts. God, God forbid I actually follow directions and just give you one, but they're kind of both related. And, it, and it's something that someone told me many years ago with all the decisions you need to make. And especially as health professionals, you're, you're socialized. Um, uh, I, I, was, I have a nursing background. So you're socialized, right, wrong, diagnosis, treatment. There's not like, you know, round it up. And well, I sort of think um, it's sort of yes or no. And it's the moment of absolute certainty will never exist. So, you know, make the decision the best way you can with the information at hand and be okay with it. And that, that was sort of the best advice for me when I moved from a practicing nurse into management, because again, I was working with, oh my gosh, I need all the information and all of the findings to make the diagnosis to understand. And the other one, and I've heard this more and more lately is don't let perfection be the enemy of the good. And again, I relate that to healthcare because we're so evidence-driven and very logical and scientific-driven. When you move into leadership and management, it, there's, there's such an art form to that. And because it's all about people, even more so. And I do think we sometimes get immobilized that it has to be perfect when 
you really have to, I, and I've found with a lot of our success, I've said, let's, let's just try it out and let's stage this and let's control the risk. And if it's all wrong, fine, shut it down, but let's move to the next. And it has been enormously helpful for growth, kind of entrepreneurial thinking and coming up with the solutions that I didn't even realize were solving a problem that through sort of this iterative process, you actually discovered something that could deal with something else. So it really is to watch that you don't allow your own sort of wiring of perfection limit how much risk you're prepared to take on. And as I say, I, I feel that even more so in healthcare, we're almost contaminated with this burden of perfection and, and the right answer. And I think it stifles um, the, what I would call healthy experimentation in different ways. Well, and I think we're learning through COVID, whether it's in healthcare or anything else, that we can't, we, we can't be right all the time. And we've got to be, make the best decisions that we can. And, and it's clear to me, Shirley, that your innovation and, and commitment to change has really driven not just this competitive, passionate, not-for-profit social enterprise, but the thinking in healthcare in the country. And we're indebted to people like you who created it and your team members, an SC coach approach, the leadership edge, uh, now Phoenix, and, and so many other things. And, you know, if there's something that defines where I'm going to leave this discussion thinking that it's really about something bigger. Yeah. What is it that's bigger and, and can be done? And so on that note, I really want to thank you, not just on behalf of our audience, Canada's most admired winners, nominees, and, and our clients, uh, but, but on behalf of Canadians who are benefiting from some of that thinking. And, you know, if you think about end-of-life care for homeless population alone, what an incredible initiative, what an incredible legacy, let alone all the things that haven't been done yet that you and the organization will leave. So I want to thank you again, our guest today, Shirley Sharkey of SE Health. Thank you, Shirley. My pleasure. It's been a great conversation. Thank you. So much fun. And I would love everyone to join us next week for another edition of High Performance Cultures. Uh, in the meantime, if you want to learn more about the topic, please visit us at waterstonehc.com.